Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Title of the message is Experiencing All That God Has For You. These are exciting times. Certainly times that I know Debbie and I have never seen in our ministry. So I said times when people are coming to know Christ like never before. Times where people are being baptized in numbers we've never seen before. People are being filled with the Spirit. People are being healed. God is working like never before. And if God is doing that in the churches, because God wants to do that in our lives. This is a unique time that literally could change every single one of us, not only for today, but for the rest of our lives and could move us into a deeper understanding of God's purpose for our life and a deeper experience of the expression of his power in our lives. We come to Acts chapter 19, and this is one of the great chapters in all the book of Acts. And we're going to watch as God does things that are unprecedented, really in the history of the church, some amazing miracles, and it all leads us back to the question, how do we experience all that God wants to do for us? I want to give you three principles that can help us to experience what God wants to do for us. Number one, we experience all God has for us when we are teachable, when we're teachable. We're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 18 and verse 23. Paul now has returned back to Syrian Antioch, which is his home base of missions. He's reporting to them what has happened there. We don't know how long exactly he stayed there, but before long, he was back on the road in what is Paul's third missionary tour after spending some time in Antioch. Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Here's a little map that kind of shows you. So here's here's Jerusalem down here. And uh, so Paul is at Antioch. He goes up through Cilicia, goes by his hometown of Tarsus, goes into the area of Galatia. The book to Galatians was written to these people here, goes up into Pisidian Antioch, now down over to Ephesus. The journey from there to there is about 685 miles. He's doing it on foot, which tells us that in that one verse are many, many months. There's a lot of things that Luke doesn't have time to tell us about. There are a lot of incredible things that happened during that time. But here's Paul, and now he makes it over into Ephesus. And as he comes to Ephesus, we read this in Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And when we're talking about disciples there, initially the tendency would be to think of Jesus' 12 disciples. That's not what this is talking about. It's a different kind of disciple. The word disciple literally means learner. So these are people who are on a spiritual journey. These are people who have been learning from somebody, from a teacher. Typically a disciple in the Christian sense is a learner or follower of Jesus Christ. 
But these people, as we're going to see, were learners and followers, not of Jesus, but of John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist came before Jesus. He announced Jesus was coming, that the Messiah was coming. He talked about the Messiah, and he pointed out Jesus and said, he is the Messiah. So these are followers of John the Baptist. And at the end of Acts 18, we're introduced to uh, another disciple of John the Baptist. His name was Apollos. Look at it in chapter 18, verse 24, because this will help us understand what these disciples were about. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, that's in Egypt, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed, instructed in the way of the Lord. We're not talking about Jesus as much as we're talking about the ways of God. And he spoke with great fervor. He taught about Jesus accurately. He doesn't know a lot about Jesus. He knows a little bit, though he knew only the baptism of John. What he knows is that John the Baptist said there's a Messiah coming, and John pointed out Jesus as the Messiah. But Apollos, because he doesn't know all about Jesus, he doesn't know about his death. He doesn't know about his resurrection. Therefore, if you don't know about the death and you don't know about the resurrection, you can't put your faith in something you don't know about, right? So he's not a Christian. He's not a follower of Jesus. Think about this. He's passionately talking about Jesus, but he doesn't know Jesus. Because knowing, and here's the thing to remember, knowing about Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus. Some of you have come to church today, and you may have grown up in church, you may have attended church as a child, so you're familiar with Christianity, but you've never put your faith in Jesus personally to save you. Knowing about Christianity is fine, but it will not get you to heaven. Knowing about Jesus, great, but it will not get you to heaven until you open your heart to Jesus and ask him to forgive you of your sin and to save you. You'll never really know him personally. You may be a moral person. You may be a spiritual person or consider yourself to be a spiritual person, but you're not a Christian in the sense that when you die, you'll go to heaven unless you know Jesus as your Savior. In verse 26, he, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home. Remember, they're leather workers. That's what they do. Paul works with them. They become good friends. But they, they make awnings for shops. They make shoes for people. They make handbags for people. Anything of leather, that's what they're doing. And they invited them to their, him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And somewhere between verse 26 and verse 27, Apollos puts his faith in Jesus. Now here's what's interesting. Apollos is very learned. He has a very thorough knowledge of Scripture. He doesn't know 
about Jesus, but he knows the Old Testament, probably has the Old Testament memorized. He is a forceful speaker, very powerful in speech. In fact, many scholars believe he may have been the greatest preacher of his time. So here he is, and two leather workers come to him, and they say, hey, brother, you don't know all that you need to know about Jesus. Apollos could have said at that point, well, I don't agree with you. Apollos could have said, I don't remember asking you for advice. Apollos could have said, um, you know what, I've got the Old Testament memorized. Do you? You know, I have studied my whole life. Have you? You know, I'm invited to teach in all the synagogues. Are you? I'm Apollos. You guys, you're great, but you're leather workers. I'm a teacher of God's word. But he didn't do that. He listened. He took counsel. And the result was his ministry became even more powerful. Listen, let me, let me just say this. One of the hindrances to revival and a move of God in a church, but especially in your own life, is when you are, or any of us, are incapable of receiving instruction. Let me put it this way. If your life group leader or a pastor offers you counsel regarding something they see in your life or your ministry, don't deny it, don't ignore it, because that will only close doors of ministry, that will only close doors of opportunity. What a wise person does is they listen, they pray about it, they learn from it, they incorporate it, and they go forward. Look what happens, verse 27. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, which is the area of Greece where Corinth and Athens is, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. He was so effective at Corinth that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12, some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos. Others say, I follow Peter. In other words, he was ranked right up there with Peter and Paul in the eyes of the Corinthians. If we want to receive all that God has for us, it's going to take the humility to remind ourselves and to recognize none of us has all the pieces to the puzzle in our box. None of us knows all we need to know. None of us can say we've heard it all, seen it all, done it all, don't tell me anything more, I don't need it. None of us are there. We have to remain teachable. Number two, we experience all God has for us when we walk in obedience to his word. Let's pick it up, Acts 19, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. They were people like Apollos who knew about John the Baptist. They didn't know, though. They might have heard about Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. 
And as Paul talks to them, Paul senses that they have not experienced all God wants them to experience. Listen, that ought to, in, in all of our hearts, when we meet somebody who appears to be serving Christ, but we know they haven't experienced all that Christ has for us, it should bother us. There should be a desire. Listen, I'm, I'm, it bothers me. I'm, I want to pastor blessed people. I want to pastor people who know how to move in the power of God. I want, to, I want to pastor people who can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I want to pastor people who care about people, who will share Christ, who will make a difference in this world for Christ. And Paul talked to him and said, listen, there's more for you. That is true for everybody in this room. It's for, true for everybody listening to this message, true for everybody at Joplin, true for everybody at the North Campus, at the West Campus. God has more. And for some of you, that more starts with giving your heart to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you could be very, you could be, you could be religious, you could be spiritual, you could be nice, you could be a lot, you could be generous, you could be a lot of things. But if you don't know Jesus, if you've not invited him into your heart, you really don't know him. You can know about him, but not know him. Or there are some who would say, well, no, I've given my heart to Jesus. My next question is, have you been baptized in water? You say, well, I just don't know that I'm ready. It has nothing to do with that. It's not about you. It has to do with being obedient to Christ. Person who doesn't, who says they're a Christian, doesn't want to be baptized in water. I mean, there's a line of reasoning you walk through, and, and all of it really isn't very good. Because Jesus said... If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So then you got to ask yourself, well, now, do you really love Jesus? You say you do, but you're not keeping the most basic, the first thing a person ought to do. That's get baptized. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I ask? Why do you, how can he be your Lord if you're not even willing to do the most basic thing, which is baptism? So then you got to say, well, you're a Christian living in disobedience. How could you be blessed? Or if it doesn't bother you at all, maybe you're not a Christian at all. You see, if it doesn't bother a person to disobey the Lord, then you can't conclude they love the Lord, even if they say they do, because their actions speak louder than their words. I'm just simply saying, no matter how you, how you bring it all together, if you've not been baptized since you believe, something's wrong. On the other hand, when you are baptized, when you do follow Christ, all of a sudden, God begins to bless you in ways you never imagined. You begin to experience an open heaven, a Jesus baptism, the heavens were torn open. I'm going to tell you, that's what happens when you're baptized. When you were going into the, bapt the waters of baptism, Peter says, it's as if you are renouncing the powers of darkness. You're telling them, you have no hold on me. I'm not on your side. I'm on his side. I am following Jesus. It is a spiritual proclamation to the greatest degree. And it's saying to your friends and your family, God did something in me. I was spiritually dead and now I'm alive. You go under the water. It's, it's like a, a picture of death. You're buried. You come up again with a newness of life. And here's what happens when you get baptized in front of your family. It changes their life. We have it happen all the time. People watch their family members you know, being baptized, and it's so powerful to them, they end up getting saved and sometimes getting baptized at the same time. Yeah. 
So God has more. And maybe the more is being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting. Look what Paul says. Paul finds these disciples. He asks them. So before he knows anything about them, and, and this really speaks to the issue of how important is the baptism of the Holy Spirit for a believer? Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Paul doesn't want to know where they're from. He doesn't want to know what they do for a living. He doesn't want to know anything else about them except that because to him, that is absolutely critically important. I realize as I talk about this that there's some of you say, you know, I've sought it, haven't received it. Some are like, I'm not sure it's for me. Some of you are thinking, is this all you talk about? We're in the book of Acts, folks. It's all over the place. So anyway, that's really in point three, so we'll come back to that. They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a spirit. We don't know about this. So then Paul says, verse three, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. So they were baptized either by John's disciples or by John, but here's the thing about John's baptism. It was a baptism of repentance. That's not what Christian baptism is. John's is a baptism of repentance, and what they were saying is, I'm repentant as I come into this baptism, and I'm preparing myself for the coming of the Messiah. We don't need that baptism because he's already come, right? Christian baptism is a baptism not of repentance, but of regeneration. Here's what you're saying. You're saying, I've been regenerated. I've been made brand new. I've been changed. Paul says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Baptism tells the whole world, that's happened to me. I want everybody to know it. And I've come to Christ, and I'm publicly telling the world that's what Christian baptism is. So Paul starts with John's baptism, tells them the story of Jesus, and then verse, nine, verse 5 and on hearing this, they were baptized. How do you receive all that God wants to do in your life? The faster you obey, the faster you receive. The faster you obey, the faster you grow. The faster you move on it, the faster you benefit from it. Literally, you determine how fast you grow. They're saying, I mean, they hear it and they're like, well, hey, if that's what we need to do, let's get it on. Let's do it. Some of you today, you just need to stop delaying. You need to go get baptized. There's, there's no reason to wait, no more time to wait. If you want to experience all that God has for you, and who wouldn't want to do that? Because I'm telling you, what he has for us, according to Ephesians, is immeasurably more than all we ask or could imagine. According to his glory, he's got it. They were baptized in the name of the Lord. You know what this tells me? They were so desirous of receiving from God, they're immediately baptized. That's what happens. You, you've, you get baptized, you want to receive from God. You, wanna, you want the blessing of God on your life. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to say, whatever I got to do to get it, I'm in. That means I'm going to get baptized. That means I'm going to, if I want to be blessed financially, I've got to be spiritually responsible with my finances. I'm going to tithe. You say, I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to. And anybody who tithes knows the truth of that. We don't make up the testimonies we're reading, and we're not limited to finding one testimony and praying at the end of the week, oh, I hope we get a testimony on tithing. We get lots of testimonies because it's true. 
I'm just simply saying in every area of our life, when we, when we expedite obedience, we experience blessing. Number three, I love this point. We all experience, we experience all God has for us when we are full of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting. This is the sixth time in the book of Acts that Luke, the author, draws our attention to the baptism and the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit. Both terms are synonymous. Receiving the Spirit, same thing. The book of Acts, and I want you to understand this. The book of Acts is a supernatural book. It's a book filled with supernatural events. It's a book filled with signs and wonders and miracles. Do you know there are 29 different times there are supernatural occurrences in the book of Acts? There's, only, there's 28 chapters, 29 times. There are supernatural, there are miracles, there are signs, there are wonders. Seven of those times are collective miracles. We're going to see one in Acts where people are taking handkerchiefs from Paul and laying them on people. We don't know how many. We don't know if it was, if it was 5, 10, 15, 100. We don't, we don't have any idea. That's a collective miracle, though. A lot of people getting healed. Philip at, at Samaria, a lot of people getting healed. Peter in Acts chapter 5, he walks by people, and as he walks by people, there is shadow falls on them, and they're healed. I mean, that, there's a lot of people getting healed. Seven times, it's a flurry of miracles. The key to all of those things is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, straight up. The book starts with Jesus saying this, Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That word power, dunamis in the Greek, it means mighty power, miraculous power, supernatural power. It's used 10 times in the book of Acts. In Acts 2 and verse 22, men of Israel, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by dunamis, by miraculous power. He says this in Acts 3, 12, Peter, when he saw them, when he saw the crowd, he said, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if our own dunamis, our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? It wasn't their power, it was God's power. It raised, raised people up on their feet who were crippled and could not walk. And we are going to see that. Wasn't a very hearty amen. For all we've seen, we are going to see that. You're going to see it. You note-takers, write it down. We're going to see it. It is going to happen. It's not a matter of if. It is a matter of when. And there is an accumulating weight of God's grace. There's an accumulating weight of God's work. We are not at the end of this. We are at still the beginning, if you can believe it. This thing's been going on two years now. Can you believe that? Be two years into this month that this, uh, or next month that this has been going on. So now for 23 months, we have been seeing an increase, an increase, and an increase of God's working. Why? The Spirit of God is stirring. The Spirit of God is doing things. Acts 10 and verse 38, it says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and dunamis. The same anointing he had, you could have. You say, but he was God. Well, he was God, but he set aside the prerogatives of his deity and the privileges and, and being found as a man, Philippians says. 
humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. God doesn't die, but he took on our humanity that he might die for us. It's a mystery. But he had that power. And Peter is saying in Acts 10, that same power is available to you and me. In Acts 19, I'll give you just a little teaser on next week. God did extraordinary miracles, dunamis, supernatural miracles, mighty miracles, powerful miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. You say, does that work? Yes, it does. I'm just simply saying there's power available, amazing power. And the book of Acts is very, very clear. That kind of power comes from the Holy Spirit working in the life of a person who's been baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit. You say, I've not been filled. So are you saying, I can't heal people? I'm not saying you can't heal people. I'm just saying you'll heal more people if you're filled with the Spirit. Think you'll see more miracles, you'll see more of the supernatural, and here's the reason why. Because as you receive that, what happens is there's this sense where, where you're having to step into the supernatural in a way, and, and it prepares you, and it empowers you, and it moves you in that direction in a way that your own humanity and my own humanity might not do it. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is really big. If you've not received it, then you would want to ask the Lord to fill you full. Listen, you say, I haven't received yet. Well, then here's how I tell you to approach it. Do it like we do the healings. God hasn't healed me yet. I haven't received yet. Some of you have closed the door on something God never closed the door on. Open your heart to him. Allow him to touch you. I believe as well. There was a, a prophecy, I've shared this before, a godly lady, she had her doctorate, taught at CBC. She came to see me back in the early, in the early days when we were in this building. And uh, she said, Pastor, I have a word from the Lord for you. I said, what is that? She said, she said um, God is going to pour out his spirit on this church. I said, oh, that'd be great. She said, no, you don't understand. From the front to the back, from the left to the right, there's coming a day everybody will be filled with the Spirit. So, from the front to the back, the left to the At the time, I was like, oh, that'd be great. You know, I, I, mean, I didn't think much about it, but now all of a sudden, that is a reality to me. All of a sudden, I have, it's clear, it's vivid, it's real. And I was talking to somebody who I really respect, and I said, it's just interesting how all of a sudden it's just like right there. He said, the reason why, John, is because now you have faith to believe what the Lord has spoken. Once you have faith, now faith is the substance, it's real, of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you begin to walk by faith, suddenly the unseen realm becomes very real. You begin to walk by faith. Suddenly, the things of the Spirit become more important to you than they've ever been in your life. This is Paul. And I mean, Paul placed his hands on them, Acts chapter 19 and verse 6. And the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So here are these people who know nothing, and instantly they're prophesying. Instantly they're, they're speaking in tongues. And there are about 12 men in all. And 
they are filled with the Spirit. Listen, God has more for every person in this room. These are unique times. I can say that. I've been here almost 31 years now. I've never seen anything like it. I just want to remind you what we're seeing is not typical. It's not normal. It's not ordinary. You say, well, it ought to be. Well, we could all, we could all say, yeah, it ought to be, but it's not. It's not ordinary. It's extraordinary. It's not natural. It's supernatural. It's God doing what we've never seen. I can remember through the years of my ministry here, not somewhere else here, in a place where God is moving like he's moving here, I can remember more than one fast where we were praying for healing and had a healing service, and I wasn't aware of anybody who was healed. I mean, I'm, I've, Debbie has experienced healing at this altar. I've experienced healing at this altar. So we've seen God do some things, but I'm talking about you fast, you pray, and you hope to see a move of God that results in many people being healed. But right now we're in a move of God and many people are being healed. It's extraordinary. It's incredible. It's amazing. And if God is working in the church in a powerful way, it's because he wants to work in your life and in my life in a powerful way. What a tragedy to be in this season in the life of the church and not be changed by it. What a tragedy to sit back and uh, watch displays of power to the point that we can even say, wow, that's amazing or that's amazing, but not have it change our life. God wants to do more in every person's life, starting with mine, than we've ever seen before. And if we want more, we gotta say, stay teachable. Don't ever think you have this thing figured out. I know I don't. I just am trying, I'm just honestly, I'm just trying to, you know, nobody manages a wave of the Spirit. I hope you know that. Nobody leads a wave of the Spirit. I'm not leading. Because you couldn't. The day I'm leading the wave of the Spirit, it's over. I was interacting with another friend this week, and he said something that was profound that I thought about all week. He said, the way you respond in a season like this is you respond with humility. You respond with brokenness and you respond with complete dependence. That's what you do. Because he's in charge. And we don't direct him, he directs us. So we have to be teachable. We have to lean into God's word and be obedient where it speaks to our situation. Whatever it says to do, we need to do it. And we need to be as full of the Holy Spirit as we can possibly be. Listen, I, I want you to experience all that God has for you. A.W. Tozer said this. I love, I love his, reading his writing. The degree of fullness in any life accords perfectly with the intensity of true desire. We have as much of God 
as we actually want. God's no respecter person. You can, have, you can have as much as you want. You can have as much as Paul had. You can have as much as Peter had. You can have as much as James had. You can have as much as you want. All comes down to what do you want? What do you desire? God wants you to experience all that he has. Will you lean in and say yes?